Welcome, 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 everyone. Welcome to the You've Championed Yourself Who Are You podcast. I'm Chris Ferguson, your host. It has always been my dream to showcase people who have taken their dreams, ideas, and turned them into their reality. As they've reached beyond their personal struggles, pains, traumas, where so many other people give up and lose hope. There are those few who can walk through their obstacles and challenges, not know where it's going to take them. They trust themselves enough not to give up, to do the follow through in their personal life, their career, and in their relationships. They are cha they champion themselves. This morning, I have Sarah Shallot with me today, and we're talking about um, kids. And so let's, you know... Welcome, Sarah, into the group, into the podcast. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? Tired, but good. Tired, but good. So this morning, you talked about being a foster care parent. Can we talk about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, my family has been fostering for about five years, a little over five years. And we have long-term fostered a few children and short-term fostered a couple children as well. Okay. What made you decide to become a foster parent? Because that's a huge, huge commitment. Oh, absolutely. It's I think it's a bigger commitment than anyone can ever really be prepared for when they sign up. Uh, but when I was a kid, I kind of bounced around um, between my mom's house and my dad's house. And I just didn't feel really that I belonged in any one particular place. So as I got older, I said, you know what, for parenting... I want to be a foster parent. I want children to have a place where they really feel like they belong. And lucky enough, I met a spouse who was willing to go on this crazy journey with me. And we, yeah, we have become foster parents. I just want to honor you for that because not a lot of people can do that successfully because you're dealing with a lot of children with issues mm -hmm. and it's not the normal issues. Like they can't find their shoes or they don't know what to wear. They literally have traumas and pains in their life that they've adverted at a young age. Their innocence was stolen. Mm -hmm. And so I have to honor you for being a foster parent because um, not many people want to take on that commitment to, to those kind of kids. I mean, I know what it's like to be unwanted. I know what it's like to be unloved. And I know how angry I was as a kid at eight years old. Mm -hmm. And so in dealing with the kids coming into the house, how do you help transition them into the home? So we have had children come into the home in three different ways. We had emergency placement where we got a phone call and within an hour they were at the house. We had pre-placement visits where we got to meet the child and they came to our house for a weekend to see if we were a good fit. And then our daughter who joined our family on a permanent basis, we actually met her through respite, which is like state paid babysitting is the best way I can describe it. Okay. So each scenario you welcome the child in a little bit differently. Pre-placement, it's all about crisis management, right? They were mm -hmm. just 
potentially ripped from their family's arms and they have no idea what's going on. They have no idea who these people are. They're scared, they're nervous, and there's a lot of a lot of insecurity. And for that, we have like used the things that they come with as a comfort. So a lot of people want to wash everything right away, but we used what they came with as their comfort for them to sleep with that night. Because otherwise, like <coughs> everything is new. The people, the smells, the beds, the cribs, like the whole, the whole shebang, the clothes, the food. So at least there was a little bit of comfort. And then we always try and reach out to find out what their favorite foods are, what their favorite stuffed animal is, and, and things along those lines. For our, our daughter that we did pre-placement visits for, she was a teenager or a preteen. And so we got to ask her and find out what worked well for her. And we tried to just get to know each other a little bit during that weekend to see if we were a good fit to be her parents and if, um, yeah, if we were, if we were going to be a good fit. And then our daughter who lives with us permanently, um, she came for respite. So it's like someone going over to an aunt's house and just having mm -hmm. a lot of fun and hanging out. And she was a teenager <laughs> and we just, laid our rules out, which we have very few, but they're pretty, pretty rigid and helped her feel successful and welcome and asked a lot of questions just to feel included. I would, I would think that there being feeling that for the kids that you take in, feeling safe is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Because when you have been ripped from your home or you have been put in, in a placement against your will, mm -hmm. all of a sudden you lose hope. Mm -hmm. And with teenagers, I've worked, I've been in law enforcement for 40 years. And the last 21 years of my career, I worked with troubled youth. Okay. And it was the most rewarding I ever had because it was my way of giving back. It was paying it mm -hmm. forward for kids who didn't have guidance, who didn't have support. And I, in my, I guess in my glory, there was, there was four girls that were homeless because they'd rather sleep under a bridge than to be tricked out by their parents. Mm-hmm. And so I made sure that they had uh, PE first period with mm -hmm. guidance so I could wash their clothes. They would get PE clothes and then they wouldn't stick out. They would look like just every other kid. So yeah. the fact was, is when they graduated, I was humbled because they did the work. Mm -hmm. So how do you help these kids do their inner work in dealing with all of this? Because at the home is where it really shows up. Absolutely. As hard as it is, especially, so our family specializes in parenting teenage girls with mental health struggles. And I very much have to remind myself, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Mm -hmm. And we can provide all the resources, we can provide all the support. But unless this child or this individual wants to make a change, they're not going to. And so a really big part of that is managing my expectations and working on their timeline. And one of the children that was in our home said something so profound and it broke my heart in such a big way. They said, 
I'm so scared to let go of all of this maladaptive stuff. Like I'm so scared to let go of all these problem behaviors because at least I know what I'm getting there. At least I know what comes next. Like who am I without all of this? Mm -hmm. And I found that to be so profound and so emotional (laughs) (laughs) because like, that's true. Like how, how do you let go of just that part of you? It's, it's a lot. So learning to work at their pace, I think is the most important thing. And I love that answer because it actually is, I ran away from the orphanage at, at 14 after two girls tried to murder me and lived on the streets. And so I get that. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. But I wanted to talk to you about the, you had mentioned healing from your person, from personal attachment struggle so that you don't pass it on to your children. Can we talk about that? Yeah. So in foster, well, in parenting in general, uh, your attachment style, you pass on to your children, you pass on to their, it, it, it's just intergenerational. And with foster care, the children that come into your home inadvertently trigger your own, your own struggles. They trigger your own challenges. And I learned early on that if I didn't work through my attachment stuff that I had, I was not going to be the best (laughs) for these children. And so I did a lot of work and actually I worked through the book parenting from the inside out by Mm -hmm. Dr. Dan Siegel and worked with an individual therapist to look at why I respond the way I do at points of calm and at points of stress and like all of these different aspects. And the further along in that process I went, the more connected to the children that were in my home I became. And ultimately the safer and more comfortable they felt. And that's, well, that, from my last statement to now, it is a paramount. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. paramount. And being one of those kids, and I was never fostered, but um, you just don't know what to do. You don't know who to trust. You don't know Mm -hmm. where where you're in a flight mode, a fight or flight, and you just don't know which one you're going to use at that point. Mm -hmm. So I absolutely get it. And how do you make people feel really comfortable? What is that in your special talents that you have? Yeah. Uh, I'd love to be able to bottle it and sell it to other people because generally people tell me all the time, you just, I feel so comfortable with you. And I think what it boils down to is I don't judge. People Mm -hmm. can say anything they want. And actually I don't respond uh, outwardly. I respond inwardly, but I don't respond outwardly. And (laughs) it gives people the comfort that they can say anything and not feel shame. So people say things to me and I'm like, Oh, you know, how did that feel for you? Or, you know, how does that impact you today? Or do you want to talk about that more? And it allows people to really step into whatever conversation that they want to have that they otherwise might not have been able to, which ultimately lets people feel seen. And when we feel seen, we feel safe, we feel connected. And that's all the difference. I think that's a beautiful gift to have for people because there's, there's so many people with my clients. I, I ask them, um, 
I'm teaching adults how to get in touch with their heart and their mind at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really interesting to know that people don't know their own power. They don't know what they're capable of doing. They don't know that. Um, I know for me, when I was a kid and I started growing up, I didn't want anybody to know I was one of those kids. And so I made sure that I, I got an education because that's paramount for a kid to change their lifestyle, no matter where they come from, no matter what color they are, religion they have, education is the key. Mm -hmm. So in that, I, I just think that's, that's an amazing, amazing um, comment that you made. I'm, I'm kind of like, ooh, I like this. I like this. <laughs> I wish I would have talked to somebody like this when I was a younger person instead of trying to having to figure it out. And when kids are punting, they rely on the wrong sources, their friends, to tell them the realities of life. They really don't have a clue. Well, and so much of my work that I do, uh, so I parent coach, and I parent coach parents of children who are in the foster care system. And I find that the parents of children who are in the foster care system had the same level of trauma as their children have. And sometimes even more trauma and they've never had someone to truly just listen and not judge and help them have change talk to, you know, maybe change some of their maladaptive behaviors or change some of their responses or change some of their thought product uh, patterns. And because, because of the children that we parent, we can't parent more foster children. Um, mm -hmm. There's just, limits to caring for specific children. And so working with parents of other children who are in the foster care system is how I'm doing my best to make a difference for as many children as possible. And, and I, I appreciate that, but I, and I get it. I try to help as many people. I'm a, I'm a person, people person, and mm -hmm. I'm all about serving and it was getting kids through high school that had no idea they were capable of it. Even though I was the chief of security at the high school, it was like, no, you can do this. And they were like, how do you know this? And I said, I see it in your soul. Mm -hmm. I see it in your being. You just haven't tapped in. So I, I love that. And how do you go about helping people through their mental blocks and get and help keeping them from getting stuck? So I am trained in motivational interviewing. And it's an evidence-based modality that ultimately is asking really great questions and reflecting to people what they're saying. Because the reality is, I don't have the answers. And I tell my clients that all the time. I don't have the answers to how to change your life. I don't have the solution. I don't have a magic wand. I'm here to help people realize what they already know. And everybody has the answers in them. They just need to have the courage and support to take action to make a change. So I pretty much hold up a mirror and say, hey, this is what you think. Is that something that you want to work on and, and change? And they're like, oh, my gosh. And it's like, yeah, this is, this is you. This is all you. And in addition, it's also having someone care about you in a way that other people typically don't because people look at someone who abuses substances or is chronically homeless or, you know, insert any other struggle and they judge. Yes. And 
I am a firm believer of everyone is one bad situation away from CPS involvement. So I'm not here to judge. <laughs> I'm here to support. Well, there's so much truth to that too. But the, the other part about it is, is it, and it's like I always say, um, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Mm-hmm. Empathy, I take on your on your issues and I, tr- I, t- I tell you how to do it and what to do it. And when it fails, it becomes my fault. Mm-hmm. But with empathy, I always ask or I always tell people, wow, that's terrible. How are you going to fix it? Mm-hmm. And by doing that, it stops that victimhood mentality and puts them in this mentality of empowering them to how, how, how am I going to do it? Let's, let's start thinking about that instead of the, whoa, whoa, all kinds of craziness. Mm-hmm. And so I really appreciate, I, I love that. I love that. And the one other thing is, is when you talk about um, foster care and adoption, I don't think that it has a big enough voice. And when I saw your, your profile and the reason why I was really excited for you to come on is because it's one of those subjects that people just don't talk about. People just mm-hmm. don't know. And then when, when it all hits the fan and all of a sudden they have to make a choice in life or their children decide, you know, I'm tired of your, your ruling. I'm going to start being a behavior issue. It's a, it's a, it's a problem. And so then they just don't know. So I loved it. You're one way, you're one call away from a uh, crisis call for, for help for your children. Mm-hmm. And so that was amazing. When you, um, how hard is it for you when a child leaves after they've been with you for a while and you've made some progress in them in their life? What do you go through? It's excruciating. Um, so I may get a little emotional here. Just giving you a heads up. Okay. Um, we've had three children leave our home after a variety of, of times. And you would think like you become hardened and you're like, yep, it's okay. Like they're going on to bigger, brighter, better places and everything is really great. And they never really leave you. Um, It's just these children have a place in my heart that um, it takes a really long time to, to come to terms with. And we had one particular child who was in our home for a number of years. And she left our home about a year and a half ago. And I have, um, I've missed her ever since, every, every single day. And I think I always will. And that's okay. And I think that's important because she matters. And mm-hmm. she mattered. And I think when you stop having those sort of feelings when kids move on, like really missing them, not like laying in bed, can't get out of bed, kind of missing them, but like functional missing them. Emotional extraction from you because you're all heart and all love. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason they leave, it takes a piece with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, I think about all three of those children every single day and I hope they're doing well where they are. And if they ever listen to this, um, I hope that they know that they can always come back to, to talk for a hug um, or for a visit. 
That, well, see, that's amazing because I, um, when, when growing up, it was just like, they, we didn't have foster care, but have any of the kids contacted you on Facebook once they've gotten, you know, stabilized in their life? And are you still talking with any of them now today? So it's not, they're not at that age yet. Okay. Um, they're, they're not quite at that age yet, but do I think it's possible? I do think it is possible. And we have our daughter who, who is a, a permanent daughter, um, in our lives. And I think she is hopeful that at some point we also hear from the other kids as well. Oh, I, I love that because I've been gone from the high school now down in South Florida, um, since 2011. So it's been 10 years mm -hmm. and all of these kids are hitting me up on Facebook. They're still asking me for guidance, you know, Hey, I did this as a kid. Do you think I could get this job? And it's just, absolutely. You know, we, this is, this is who we are as a society. This is why the juvenile criminal justice system is the way it is, is to give you chances mm -hmm. and then give you a free break at 18. So let's try this and see what you learned. And she mm -hmm. became a teacher and I love the fact that she's inspiring children to become their best versions. And she's in the middle school, which is a, is, <laughs> let me tell you, I would rather do high school and just be the brute and, you know, be the, be the one that has to, you know, chase down the quarterback of the football team because he's dealing drugs on the football field during ROTC mm -hmm. compared to dealing with the middle school kids who are just a bottle of emotions. Oh, Yes. Oh, yes. I, I would agree. <laughs> so is there um, is there anything I've left out in 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 uh, or is there anything else you wanted to bring up about? Or let me ask you this. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you because they know of somebody mm -hmm. who is in foster care that that could help or the parents that could help mm -hmm. use your advice and guidance, how would they get a hold of you? Absolutely. So my website is thefosterlane.com. And on the website, if you go to pretty much any page, there will be a pop up for an excerpt from my book. Uh, I wrote a book and that came out um, in June of 2021. And that's the book that I wrote that I wish I had when I first started fostering. And then there's also courses on that website for people to take a look at as well. But if they just want to chat, I would say reach out on Facebook. Um, it's the Foster Lane Parent Coaching. Don't reach out on Instagram. I'm never on Instagram. But <laughs> that's a rarity that I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know it's terrible. Um, and then I have a support group that is free for uh, parents of children who are in the foster care system or foster and adoptive parents, and that's available on Eventbrite. I didn't know you wrote a book because you didn't put that in your notes. <laughs> what is it called? Let's do some talking about this. Let's get yeah. some some exposure to it because you never know. Mm -hmm. You never know what you put out, how it can help somebody. Absolutely. So the book is called Welcome to the Foster Lane, Parenting Advice from a Coach Who's Been There. And it's available, honestly, anywhere you buy your books online. Um, I think it's at 300 booksellers worldwide. And... Ultimately, like I said, it's the book that I wish I had when I first started. It talks about the fact that it's going to be hard, but it's also going to be great. It talks about some strategies that you can use for parenting children who've experienced trauma. There are letters to all of the different types of parents. And I've had counties that have reached out that they're going to buy it for their 
for their newly licensed foster parents. So I, I love that. I love that. But I, but I'm on five different platforms and this gets posted in YouTube. So there is a, there is an exposure to this. And so I'm so glad you inadvertently mentioned it. So we <laughs> could talk about it. Yeah. But, um, I just want to thank you, Sarah, so much for your for your knowledge and your experience and your love that you share with these kids who need it so bad. And being one of those kids, I'm grateful. Wonderful. Thank you so much for yeah. having me. And so um, it's just amazing how and this is you're one of the people that I have made this this podcast for. It's people who champion other people. They champion themselves to be able to give to other people. And I thank you for that. So thank you for being here today and have a great day. Thank you. Wow. 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 I just want to say, you know, Sarah is an amazing individual, special kind of person who became and wants to share her love with children. The ones that, that most people don't think can have a voice. And so that's why I created this, this podcast Sarah stepped past all of her issues, her personal issues. She stayed the course and had the courage to follow through to the end. Sarah, you've championed yourself. Now we know who you've become. Thank you for sharing your ideas, your thoughts, your dreams, and how you affect the planet. Thank you.